This is the Boxing Betting Show with Tom Craze. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of the Boxing Betting Show. My name is Tom Craze. Now, indeed, Episode 14 and today's guest were meant to be brought to you last week and we were both all geared up for a big preview of the Triller card and Tiafimo Lopez versus George Cambosos until that unfortunately all fell apart and got rescheduled for mid-August. That meant we were just left with an IVF mandatory for Inue at landslide odds, which ended up pretty much exactly how everyone thought it would. Didn't need to be a genius to work out that opposing rounds there was probably the way to go. And Jamal Charlo in what was a fairly uninteresting matchup, again at very short odds, although he was made to work harder than most expected. The other card last weekend was a Golden Boys show on the zone, where Jaime Munguia did his job well in the main event. But the real betting story there was Gabe Rosado springing both one of the upsets of the year, but also one of the knockouts of the year. There was 7-1 to one and bigger steal on Rosado, who stopped Bektimir Melikuziev, thought by most to be one of the most dangerous guys around the weight, in the third round after Rosado was dropped and pretty much beaten up up until that point. Congratulations then to what I'd expect to be the very few who were on Rosado with their own money that night. And though there was no show last week, if you back that particular underdog with any confidence or anything more than was just a blind punt, then frankly, I'm not sure you needed any advice from me anyway. My guest to guide us through this week's action then has been kept in limbo for the past seven days, patiently waiting around in my Zoom waiting room. Writer for Boxing Social and a man with bylines for Boxing News, as well as the late great Boxing Monthly too. Craig Scott, how are you? I'm okay, mate. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than stuck in that waiting room, Tom. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. In kind of recent months, to kick things off, is there a bet or, I guess, a winning bet or a losing bet that you kind of look back on fondly or or kind of with um, with dismay? Yeah, I think probably one that I I sent on to a few of my mates that for for some reason or other eventually came in was was John O'Carroll to stop Scott Quick. Um, okay, we got we. Got Decent. It was. I think it was like five to one or something like that. But we, I'd heard something from somebody that had been in the the gym with Quig during that week, um, and kind of put my faith in that bet. So that was quite nice. Uh, and I told a lot of people about it who had put a bit of money on it as well. So that came in for a few people. So that was quite nice. I mean, I should point out that's. Um, I'm sure you're well aware that's over a year ago. So I'm hoping you've, you've struck <laughs> a winning bet since then. But um, uh, and how about on the other side then? Any any kind of um, bets that kind of failed spectacularly for you um oh trying to think there's too many to mention probably mm-hmm. uh I was convinced that Andy Ruiz was going to stop Chris Ariola recently so okay. that was disappointing um and I'd put a bit of money on Andy Ruiz to stop Ariola because I thought Ariola was about 56 years old now mm-hmm. so probably had a good chance but um yeah some, some of the heavyweight shows recently as well have, have been a bit disappointing I put quite a lot of money on not quite a lot of money but uh, for me, anyway, I thought that Brazil would get stopped uh, fighting Otto Wallen. Obviously, okay. he never he managed to cling on. Probably some people would think that should have been stopped, but uh, he managed to cling on throughout the, the whole fight. So I lost money on that as well. So the, the heavyweights are luring me in and then disappointing me. There's a bit more action than there was last week, which is obviously why I've got you back on, as it were. And we'll start yeah. with the... Uh, we'll start with the Showtime pay-per-view over in, in the US on Fight TV in the UK. Javonta Davis versus Mario Barrios, 12 rounds at uh, 140, first time at the weight for, for Davis. And now, 
there's a few kind of talking points around this, but I'm going to start with a kind of a sort of a devil's advocate approach, and we'll see where you uh, where you get your your viewpoint on this. So, as far as I see it, you could take a real positive stance on this as a boxing fan, and you could you could say, okay, extremely positive. This is Javante Davis daring to be great. You know, this is a guy who's 26 years old, started at featherweight, won a world title at 130, won a regular belt at lightweight, now moving up, going to 140, fighting for a version of a world title at best. We'll get into that separately. Taking on a man, obviously, who's much, much bigger than him in Barrios, five inches taller, rangier. Um, obviously, it's hard to think 140 is, is Davis's kind of natural weight at the moment as well. The extreme negative, the, the real cynic in me, and probably a lot of other people would say that this is Davis kind of cherry picking a secondary belt in a new weight class, kind of a largely worthless belt, really, given that Josh Taylor has just become undisputed in that division. So yeah. why are we dealing with more belts now? Um, all of the talk, obviously, kind of nonsensical talk about, uh, you know, a new four kings at, at lightweight with Davis, with Lopez, with Haney, with Garcia. None of them fought each other. And Davis only actually, people talking about Davis as a lightweight. He only fought Gamboa, who's pretty much an irrelevance these days anyway, and Santa yeah. Cruz, who'd never fought at lightweight either. So instead of sticking around at lightweight to kind of, shout for those fights or boost his credentials he jumped up rather than push for the bigger fights there although they'd be quite hard to make politically you'd think do you kind of side with any of those viewpoints more than the other yeah do you know what's really interesting tom because when I, when we're talking about the fight and that we're going to we're going to cover the fight on the show i thought to myself i'd have to be look through javonta davis's resume and, and kind of get an idea of of the level of opponent he's fought and obviously we've seen him you know, we've seen the fantastic knockout of Santa Cruz, who, as you say, was fighting above himself that day. But for me, it, it comes down to, I don't, I'm don't. i still trying to decide whether it's a genuine search for greatness from Javonta Davis mm. and he wants to be this guy that scales between the weights. Or is it just an easy option for a guy that's ill-disciplined? Do you know what I mean? This It's a guy that always kind of runs it close with the weight. He doesn't really live the life outside. You know, I'm sure he trains hard in the gym, but... He's had his fair share of kind of personal issues outside as well. Famous pictures of him looking a little bit podgy. Says me leaning over with a, a double chin at the moment. But um, yeah, it's, it's tricky because 140, you're moving up in weight. You're fighting for that regular title, um, which another Scotsman seems to love following today's Twitter debate. But um, it just it just seems a little bit a little bit like an easy. And it reminds me of Adrian Broner. Remember Adrian Broner did the same sort of thing? Yeah. You know, he just kind of moved up up and down throughout the weights, fighting guys that held versions of world titles. But for somebody whose star was as bright as it was, and it's the same with Davis as well, you, you look through and the only the only people he's really fought, he fought Santa Cruz, who, you know, as we know, was fighting above his own weight. Gamboa was, was fairly washed up, still offered something of a challenge. And Pedraza at the time wasn't, the Pedraza now, you know, Pedraza's came back very strong. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm probably siding with it more being a sort of easy option and an easy route to a world title. Uh, look, I think if you take away the fact that Barrios has a a regular belt and he, he's been given a bit of a push by the PBC because of that. Look, if Barrios didn't hold any kind of belt, this wouldn't be a pay-per-view main event. Let's, let's put it that way. And there's an argument that he shouldn't, of course. But... Mm. Davis is, you know, Davis is a guy who's five foot five, listed a little bit higher than that, but he's, you know, there's not really any argument for him to be 
campaigning at 140 at the age of 26 is that other than if he's really daring to be great and if he's really daring to be great then he's not going to be challenging Barrett is he? he's going to be calling out Taylor frankly isn't he yeah and this is the thing it seems as though everybody talks about Javonta Davis and obviously he's you know he is this monster puncher and, and we know he's very talented but when do we when do we reach that stage? You know, we fought Pedraza four years ago, and everybody was raving about him. When do we reach the stage where you actually have to start tackling some of the best every time you you fight? You know, unless it's a mandatory. It's, and Canelo's at that stage now. You know, he's every time he's he's looking for the biggest names. He's looking for the the fights that mean something. And it just seems to me as though we're kind of dragging our heels a little bit with Javonta Davis. I don't know when we when we get there. Yeah, I mean, I think we're being. <laughs> Maybe we're being a little bit miserable to start this show off, but I, I, I have to say I am a bit disappointed that I, I'm quite interested in this fight just because of the the dimensions being so different. You know, although we, you mentioned Canelo, we saw against uh, you know Canelo against Callum Smith, size difference doesn't tend to matter. I think as much certainly when you're dealing with elite fighters, um, you know, height isn't all it's cracked up to be, which is probably you know music to the ears of a guy who's five foot five, I guess. But <laughs> Let's look at the positives. Barris is a, is quite a fun fighter to watch. He's an action fighter, throws a lot of punches, quite a light record, I guess, but has a at least a win to his name against um, Batir Akhmadov, who's fighting on the card or uh, further down the card as well. That was a close fight. I've seen some people say that Akhmadov still won it, but I think with a couple of you know flash knockdowns, I think it's hard to say that Akhmadov still came out on top of that, but. Barrios was run close and, and showed his, his fortitude there. Davis, as you say, has a lot of talent, um, is, is kind of a star in the making or a superstar in the making if he kind of keeps things together, had that knockout of the year um, contender for many. Well, let's say contender, knockout of the year for many. But like you say, I think we're waiting for that big, big opponent and, and Barrios certainly isn't. Looking at the odds and the market is about a month old, so that we've, we've got a bit, of, um, a bit of depth in it. Davis is obviously the the favourite, as you'd expect, despite the weight, the weight jump. First prices went with Davis around 3 to 10, so minus 330 in American odds, and Barris at 5 to 2, so plus 250. And the money has been for Javonta Davis since. His price has been chipped away at uh, in the, what, four and a bit weeks since those odds were posted. And interestingly, I think there's been a lot of movement, or I say a lot of movement, quite a bit of movement for, for an odds-on shot, Gone well past seeing the um, the one to four, the minus four hundred on on tank, and now looking at general um, one to five ish um, time of recording. Betfair clinging on at two to nine, so minus four fifty. Be looking at fives on two to eleven, so minus five fifty. Still a little bit of one to four, one point two five on Davis on the Betfair exchange, but obviously that's pre commission and there's very kind of little liquidity in that as well. Um, Craig, those prices give Davis say one to five, an 83% implied chance, one to four, obviously, if you can get it, 80%. Barrios, five to two, moved out, uh, seven to two, so it's at 22% implied probability. What was your reaction to those numbers when you were checking them out? I don't know. It, it probably feels about right. You know, it probably mm. we, know, we know we're moving up in weight, but I think it probably feels about right. I think Barrios is obviously bigger and, you know, he's going to be tough. But I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not really angry at the odds for the outright winners, Tom, but I don't know, you're, you're more experienced than me. What, what's your thoughts? I think when you're when you're looking at this, you're always trying to think, well, 
you're trying to argue against it, it, you know, and that's the easiest point to take. You're not trying to kind of validate it as much as you are trying to prove it wrong, if that makes sense. And I don't think it does. But if I'm saying, okay, well, if 80% leaves, let's say pricing to 100, 20% to play with on, you've got the draw there, obviously, and you've got barriers. So where are you getting the the 20%-ish or or just shy of four barriers to win? And that's where I'm kind of struggling with it. So maybe it was a little bit, a little bit generous considering again you know this is davis's pay-per-view you know he is the a side despite the titles so how does barrows win he's going to struggle to get on the cards isn't he against you know the the star the pbc kind of starlet and then you're looking okay well how how does barrios you know is, is barrios going to stop davis it's that's the question mark i think because barrios is a big light welter and we haven't seen davis take a punch from any light welter let alone a you know a guy who's five inches taller than him and, and Barris can punch as well. I think the question for me in terms of weighing that up is saying, well, how much of an advantage is the, or how much of an advantage uh, is the size difference for Barrios? And is the size difference really a disadvantage for Davis? Because we know that he can, well, we know that he can fight inside. Santa Cruz will tell you that he can throw a great uppercut on the inside. And there's a long kind of Barrios midsection to be aiming at there as well with with um davis's body work so i think style wise it's quite nice to him as well isn't it yeah yeah and i think for me the for me the only question is you know obviously like you said there you know barrios can punch a bit and he is big at the weight so, something that i've always kind of pondered or thought about with davis is the is the work rate because hmm. he seems to put a lot of time off you know he likes that he likes working in that nice little tight guard and, you know, taking his time and picking his shots. And when you're up against a bigger guy, a bigger, stronger guy physically, you, for me, you can't really take as much time off. You can't be as patient because you can, you know, you can find yourself easily sort of being overrun and, and backed up. So it, it is interesting. I think if you were to say to me, would, would I make Javonta Davis 80%? Was there an 80% chance that Javonta Davis wins that? Is that about right? I'd probably say when you take into consideration the scorecard issue that you mentioned, mm. you know, this isn't likely to get it. We know Davis has that kind of power that transcends division. So that shot against Santa Cruz, yeah, it was at the weight below. But that that sort of power will travel no problem up to 140. If he landed that same shot, you know, it, it would stop a lot of guys at 140 as well. So I don't think that's an issue. It's, it's an interesting fight. It's an interesting fight, but yeah, you, you'd, you'd have to make Davis, I think you'd have to make him about, about those odds. I think if you if you kind of also forget the notion that, or any kind of notion that Barros is any kind of world champion, and imagine, forget that exists, and he's just a fringe guy at 140, which is is what he is. Um, you know, for reference, uh, TBRB has Barrios ranked at number nine at the weight, so that's behind for a bit of context, uh, Arnold Barboza, Jack Catterall, Robert Easter, Victor Postel. Yeah. You know, if, if Javonta Davis, with all respect to Jack Catterall, announced a fight with Jack Catterall, you wouldn't be thinking it's that interesting, would you? I... No. And I think, well, this is quite interesting for me. I've never really thought about it like that. So him holding on, clutching on to that regular world title, does that have a massive shift on the odds, generally speaking? Does it make it seem tighter than it normally would if he, if he didn't have that regular title? That's a good question. I think obviously hardcore fans and, and you know, serious bettors, it wouldn't. I think maybe 
for casual betters, you know, potentially those who are going to the fight and just saying, well, you know, this is a guy who's a world champion and who've been kind of suckered in by that by that sell that Barris is a world champion at the weight, maybe, but I don't think it's going to, it's certainly not something that would sway the odds makers or the traders to, to kind of price it up differently. But I think it will certainly help with the, the pay-per-view sales, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The bookies, this is quite interesting. The bookies say that to win a decision, Barrios is a best price of 13 to 2. So six and a half to one, about 13%. And Decao is nine to one, 10%. Barrios obviously has a slim chance, I think. We're, we're both agreed here, but I'm not sure those aren't the wrong way around. I think I fancy his chances more as the bigger man of maybe testing the chin of Davis than I would him getting a decision. You know, I'm, I'm not tempted by either, but I think that might be that might be switched. And for Davis, uh, eight to eleven to win inside the distance. He's obviously he's won every fight bar one inside the distance, and that was you know I think in the sixth round of many years ago that that was the uh, that was the case. And eight to eleven is so that's fifty eight percent minus one thirty eight. It's a long way away from the the ninety six percent percentage uh, knockout to win percentage that Davis has. Um, eight to thirteen as well, sixty two percent again for Davis to. Um, get the stoppage available and about three to one just bigger than three to one that he wins a decision that is with bet 365 a little bit shorter um, 11 to four and five to two so between 25 and 29 percent that he wins a decision do you have any kind of sway there Craig do you think that you know it's c- can you see Davis stopping him well, that, that's the one that kind of jumped off the page to me was was tank Davis by decision at three okay. to one I think when I had seen it, um, and kind of just for the reasons that we've already we've already touched on, you know the the sort of toughness of Barrios, you know he's he's done the championship distance various times now, so that would, I mean, I don't know if I would take him to stop Barrios at, at eight to eleven. I think it was you mm. said. I mean, it's probably it's probably the most likely outcome. I, I want to see, and then. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the most likely outcome, but I don't I don't really think it's worth... I see enough in Barrios in terms of toughness and in terms of, you know, he's, he's at a good stage in his career in terms of age. He's not worn out. You know, he's he's not had too many fights. So I'd probably unbeaten, see an, unbeaten as well, of course, you know, the two unbeaten, yeah. unbeaten guys, yeah. So I, I could probably see it going the distance, but I could also see, you know, Davis detonating one of those... One of those massive uppercuts or you know a massive hook out of nowhere so that's probably the only one the the three to one on, on decision would be the only one that would get me a bit excited i think oh just looking at the uh, the fight to go the distance market earlier and it's quite a similar price as you'd expect obviously with the barrier stoppage being so big but it's eight to 15 um so minus 188 65 percent compare that to the 62 percent that davis wins by stoppage himself it's a little bit more expensive as our American friends would say, to take the, the fight not to go the distance and the Davis stoppage. But you're also getting Barrios on side for that. And if you're saying, well, actually, I think it's more likely that Barrios wins a stoppage than it does a decision. And I think it's more likely that Davis wins a stoppage. You know, we've seen it in, in a few fights recently. You know, James Tennyson against Strephon. How many, yeah. the, how many people would have taken that fight uh, or, or Tennyson in that fight, you know, to win in the first two rounds in the first three rounds and the first six rounds and sometimes if you just give up a little bit of of price to take the over under rather than you just kind of give yourself a little bit of insurance when the underdog does strike which obviously is quite rare but sometimes just worth bearing in mind I think yeah 
I looked at the, um, I think it was Bet365 I was looking at, I looked at the either fighter to win in grouped rounds. So either fighter to win between seven and nine and either fighter to win between 10 and 12. And you're getting some great odds. You know, I think either fighter to win between 10 and 12, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was six to one. And I think between round seven to round nine, it was it was 10 to three. Now, like you say, you know, if we're expecting a stoppage and the, the probability of a stoppage seems quite high in terms of the odds, that extra insurance, you know, you're, you're still getting a, a decent return on that. It does seem more likely, I would say, that the stoppage comes late, doesn't it? I think the old adage of, you know, chopping down a, a tree if you're the smaller guy putting in the bodywork. Barris is, is a tough guy. I'd, I'd be really impressed if Davis stopped him early, put it that way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking towards, you know, the, the later stages of the fight, but it is interesting to a degree. I think it's an interesting fight. You're listening to The Boxing Betting Show. Moving on to the chief support then, Ericsson Lubin against Jason Rosario, 12-round eliminator at light middleweight, super welterweight, if you prefer. I think this is a really good fight. This kind of feels like a, it could have been a main event on a non-pay-per-view PVC card quite easily, and quite rightly so. I think it's really, it's quite interesting. 154 is a deep division, and this is really two top 10 guys, Lubin number seven with TBRB, Rosario up at number three. And boxing will have another undisputed champion, of course, um, by by the end of the summer with Jamal Charlo and Brian Castano meeting to decide that on the 17th of July. Of course, though, Charlo is only in that position because of his wins over Lubin and Rosario. And Lubin met Charlo, uh, when was that, three, three and a bit years ago, at a time when both were really quite green, um, undefeated fighters, but a nice matchup. And Lubin got stopped in one and pretty brutally as well done everything he'd want since then rebuilt and kind of regrouped quite steady nothing spectacular whereas Rosario's loss to Charlo took a bit more time knocked down three times and stopped in eight Craig what are your thoughts on this fight this is the one for me that frankly jumps out as the best on the card yeah I was about to say for, for me it's the most intriguing fight of the weekend Tom um you know I was quite hot on on Ericsson Lubin at the start of his career, I was hearing a lot of noise coming out of the US because I think they expected him to stay amateur for a bit longer when he turned pro. Mm. And he surprised everyone by turning pro when he did. Um, and, you know, they, they expected massive things of, of Lubin. And he was on course, I suppose, and until that Charlo, that Charlo stoppage, which was brutal, wasn't it? It was, it was quite a damaging stoppage. So the fact that he's been able to rebuild and, and come back, you know, obviously he's facing... Facing Jason Rosario and my, my thoughts on the fight, I think it's a really interesting fight. I think both guys are probably at a similar level. One's maybe on his way slightly down the ladder while the other one's trying to climb back up again. But I don't know. For me, Rosario, I'm just not sure. Obviously, he stopped Julian Williams, didn't he? And nobody expected that. Um, that was a huge upset, yeah. I just feel as though... Rosario's maybe bought himself a couple of fights with that win. Mm. And he maybe I don't know, I don't know what he has in the tank, and I don't know what he has left in the tank after that. Do you know what I mean? I think he stopped Williams and he looked excellent in that fight. You know, it was a cracking stoppage. But it's you know, it's one fight. It's, it reminds me of Hassim Rachman when he when he stopped Lewis. You know, he bought himself a couple of cracking fights and a couple of great paydays after that. Rachman obviously a good professional, but you know, he wasn't an elite heavyweight, 
but that one performance just kept them up there, hanging about the top three or four for a couple of years. And I feel as though Rosario might be in the same position. I think Lubin, the old, I think Lubin's toughest opponent is probably himself because he, he struggled after that Charlo defeat. And I think he's looked he's looked slightly average in, in a couple of his fights afterwards. So it's interesting. Good win over Terrell Gosha as well, who former Olympian um, from the US. So he's he's on a good run. I think it's a really interesting fight. I'd probably have to side with Lubin if, if you had a gun to my head. I think there's a point as well on on first round KOs that I wanted to make. And I think there are two types of, two distinct types, there are probably more. But one is where it's a complete mismatch. And, you know, the one guy wins in the first round with, a, you know, a, a, an early onslaught completely overmatched. And, you know, the, there's only ever one outcome. But I think the other very different one is what Charlo Lubin was, which is where you've got two fighters who going into it are, are quite evenly matched. at least to some and the loser just gets caught cold early or caught with a single shot which is exactly what happened to Lubin and I was watching that fight back earlier today and you know the first two and a half minutes of that of that first round there was no indication really that you know Charlo was going to stop that or win that fight early it's very very cagey not much really happened and then suddenly he caught um, Lubin with this sneak shot um, you know and Lubin just didn't see it and, and that was that. And suddenly Lubin's left to kind of pick up the pieces and everyone's writing the guy off at 22 years old. And you think, well, that's not really, that's not really very fair, is it? And I think he's done very well to get to the point that, where he has, but going from the likes of Gallimore to Rosario, I think this is a big jump for him. And I think this is the one that's going to test whether he's fully back to where he was. And like you say, he, he got a lot of hype, didn't he? Going into that fight, he was... He was on a real a real streak going into Charlie. It's, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, it just totally takes the wind out of your sails and it could be a momentary lapse in, in concentration and he gets caught with that shot that he's, he's not looking for. And all that hype and all that, you know, sort of building from the, the boxing media or whatever the case may be, it sort of just evaporates. And he has to then try and pick that up himself and go again. So I think, you know, he's probably faced moments where you know, where he doubts whether he can get back up there again. And he's he's very close to doing it. Yeah, I think you mentioned a good point there about the, you know, the shock nature of, of the win. I think a good example, well, we had it last weekend, didn't we? You know, with um, Melikuziev against Rosado. Yeah. And Melikuziev was doing everything right, you know, knocked him down, was, was really on top, got caught with one punch. And now everyone's writing the guy off and everyone's kind of saying, well, you know, suddenly all of that hype has evaporated. And before that, he was a killer. He was odds on against Kovalev and everyone was happy to pile into that. And you, do you know what I mean? It's it's a very fickle world boxing. And I'm, I'm sure that Melikuziev will be back and, and like Lubin, get himself into a position where, I say that, I'm, I say I'm sure, but there's obviously a question mark. Lubin is a favourite here. Four to 11 um, odds on. So just bigger than one to three, minus 275. So 73%. I should say these prices have only been up since the start of this week. So there hasn't been much movement uh, in that. Or what that means is that the prices, when they opened, there wasn't much disagreement. Everyone's kind of happy with those. Rosario, a bit bigger than two to one, um, which is widely available. You can get nine to four if you fancy um, Jason Rosario. Um, so plus 225 or 31%. The draw, big range of prices, actually. Um, 12 to one up to 22 to one. 12 to one seems very short. 22 to one starts maybe getting a little bit more interesting. 
again, Craig, looking at those numbers, does it feel like a 70-30 kind of fight to you? Do you know what, Tom? I've, I've probably got it a little bit closer than that, to be mm. honest. Um, we we know, you know, the, the loss to Jermel Charlo will it will have taken something from him. Obviously, he's building himself back up, but but to see yourself, to, to analyse a fight and watch that fight back and see yourself in that condition and getting caught with that shot, it will it will leave a lingering doubt in your mind. However small it is, there'll be something there that tells you, you know, that that cloak of invincibility has been scrapped a little bit for him. So I've, I've probably got it a little bit closer in it. I mean, Rosario can, can punch. There's no doubt about that as well. I, mean, yeah. you know, I think he's a little bit bigger, I think of the of the two, you know, Lubin was getting more. Lubin was going into the Charlo fight more of a puncher than he is now. I think people have seen it, you know, make he's fighting a little bit more cautiously, maybe, and maybe that's because of the knockout. What do you like, Tom? What What do you think in terms of? Because I feel as though, and this is, I think, this is the reason it's it's the fight of the weekend for me. You know, both guys are probably at a very similar level, and and we don't see that yeah. as often as we do. But what, what's your kind of initial thoughts? Lubin at one to three feels a little bit a little bit flimsy to me. He's not a, he's not the type of guy that you want to go big on at one to three. I think is he with any with any confidence? Just because yeah. we know Rosario can punch, we know Lubin's been hurt in the past. Yeah, I would be closer to going for the underdog there. I think there's a bit more value. Just looking at yeah, I'm just looking at this. I think anything probably two to one plus on Rosario. You know, nine to four. I think if you start getting up to you know, start getting up to 11 to four or five to two Rosario and you're nearly there, you'd have to start making a case of him and just saying, well, actually, there's enough question marks about this guy. We've seen him beat Williams before. Then there might be a bit in it. I think what's interesting and, and where the bookies are really struggling is with the, the method of victory market. Lubin to win a stoppage is seven to four. Uh, it's 175. That's... Uh, 36%. This is all with bet 365. Six to four is the favoured outcome in the fight, which is Lubin to win a decision. Um, so plus 150, 40%. One of the last two by decision, um, as we said. Then for Rosario, you're looking at seven to two, so plus 350 for the stoppage, and 15 to two, the kind of the outside pick there in terms of the, the methods for a Rosario decision. You know, I, I guess in terms of what, what they've chosen as the the most likely method of victory, I probably agree with. Yeah, I, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, living by decision. But for me, in terms of value and in terms of, you know, what we've seen before from both guys, you know, I, I do think there's definitely legs in, in Rosario, Rosario by knockout. Lubin definitely has the capability of, of stopping Rosario. I just don't know whether he's got that that confidence and that swagger that he had before he lost to Charlo. And I'd like to see it because I think he's, you know, when you watch him, I'm sure you'll agree to you watch him, he's, he's a very slick, technically sound boxer. He looks the part. Hmm. But I just don't know if he, I just don't know if he carries that same attitude and that same confidence that he did before, you know. Same firm, Bet365, have five to six a pair for the fight not to go the distance and the fight to go the distance. If you had a, we're going to flip a coin, say 50-50 minus margin. Which of the two would you prefer it landed on? I would say to go the distance. Yeah. I'd say to go the distance. I think it's I think it's most likely to be a, a Lubin points victory. And I think it's also one of the one of those ones that we could look back on on Sunday morning and say, 
Rosario deserved to nick it on the scorecards, but he was, you know, he was cheated or it was unfair. You know, I could see one of those sort of things happening as well. So I think, yeah, definitely to go to distance would be the the side of the coin I would I'd be backing. The next fight we'll move on to, Craig, is the top-ranked card, um, ESPN Plus in the US, and Sky Sports, actually, in the UK, um, thankfully. Vasily Lomachenko versus Masayoshi Nakatani, um, just making sure I get that right, 12 rounds at lightweight from Las Vegas. Now, obviously, this is the first fight for Lomachenko since his upset loss to Tiafimo Lopez last October. Uh, Lopez was bigger than a 3-1 to one underdog that night, but looking at this fight, I kind of think it's not dissimilar to Davis against Barrios in a way. It's a, a top-tier elite fighter or, or kind of very close to or, or as far as we can gather, fighting well above their natural weight, giving up significant height and reach, but against a guy who isn't considered among the best at their weight. And those are the kind of parallels that I've drawn. But fittingly, Nakatani, just like Barrios, is ranked at number nine at the weight with TBRB, which gives my little comparison intro there a nice little symmetry <laughs> the common opponent here of course is Tiafemo Lopez and both Lomachenko and Nakatani ended up on the wrong side of unanimous decisions the surprising thing I think for me here is so that how much Lomachenko has been written off after that one loss if you put the talk of injury to one side because that does discredit Lopez which I don't think anyone should be all of that talk about you know the four kings I mentioned earlier which I, I don't like but nonetheless was doing the rounds without mentioning Lomachenko kind of pretending that he doesn't exist anymore and I know the age factor I know he's older than the other guys etc but you know he's dropped out of the pound for pound rankings with a lot of people as well I just think it's a bit a bit bizarre what what are your thoughts on that is is he too old to get back up there and in the mix you know or with Davis kind of flirting with a higher weight is Lomachenko should he still be considered among the elite and how, how would you kind of see a fight with, I don't know, Lomachenko versus Haney or, or Garcia going? I think, I think he's he's one of the most gifted, one of the most gifted boxers I remember watching. Um, and I think you're right. I think the reaction to his defeat, and let's let's not get let's not get confused. It was a kind of close fight. It was probably less eventful than we hoped it would be um, between him and Teofimo Lopez, but. Yeah, I think the fact that they've kind of dropped them out of the dropped them out of those rankings. You know, I just did some rankings for Boxing Social and I did them for the Boxing Writers Association of America. And he was in my pound for pound top ten. When you when you look at the stuff that he's done yeah. throughout his career, you know, and it does seem a little bit over the top, but he's never really been, he's always seemed to split opinion. Not everybody is as high on him as as I am or as other people are, but for me, he's 33 years old. You know, these guys that fight at the lower weights, generally the, the career doesn't run on as long as it does for the bigger guys, but he's fat. You know, you see the footage of him in the gym. You know, if he's not doing handstands and no-handed press-ups or, you know, whatever it is he's doing, juggling some balls or whatever, I don't know. But, you know, he obviously lives the life. He's, he's a serious, serious athlete. And I think he probably has another two years in him. I think what probably... What probably did him a disservice in the Lopez fight was he was he was too hesitant, you know, and, and he, he took a little bit too long to spring into action and and that cost him. I think if you were to put him in with a guy like Devin Haney, you know, Haney's one of those guys for me. I'm I'm not I'm not massively, you know, I think he's I think he's very good, but I'm not completely sold on him. I think when you put 
someone like Lomachenko in with him, yeah, I think I think he gives Haney nightmares. He's been forced because of his own ability and because of his you know freakish talent. He's been forced to kind of climb up and, and sort of carve out his own legacy because he spent so long as an amateur. And sometimes that can be somebody's it can be to somebody's detriment as well. So, you know, he's he's kind of been found out, you know, Lopez beat him and I think he did beat him. Where, where does he go from there? Does he keep trying to fight those guys and mix it with those guys as he gets older? Or does he does he drop back down and then maybe lose a little bit of relevance? It's it's tricky, man. But I, I'm a big Lomachenko fan, always have been. And it's good to see him back this weekend. Are there any kind of question marks here, though, in terms of Nakatani? You know, this is a guy who... He fought Lopez in his American debut, pretty much unknown before that, and, you know, record is very light before that. But he didn't disgrace himself in that. And it was, Lopez won it pretty wide on the cards, but it was one of those fights that had people just kind of tempering their expectation a little bit, just saying, yeah, that wasn't, you know, this this guy is meant to be the, you know, the takeover, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously he proved those wrong by beating Lomachenko. But Nakatani, again, the much bigger man, high output, Lomachenko coming back from shoulder surgery. Does it give you any any kind of pause here on how this fight goes? For me, I think Nakatani seems to be one of those guys, and you know yourself, you get you get these guys throughout any generation in boxing. If if you were to cast an eye back and look at their record, you'd see plenty of losses on there, but but they always come out of those fights with plaudits and and people always think they make it a, a difficult night for the favourites. So you know, Lopez, when he fought Nakatani, you know, Lopez was getting slated after that fight. You know, but like you said, people doubted him. He was talking about this is the takeover and and all of that sort of stuff. Nakatani gave him a really, really tough night. To me, he seems like one of those awkward, you know, physically, you know, he's quite tall as well and, and kind of awkward to deal with, especially for a smaller guy coming up to a kind of unnatural weight. But he's one of those guys who who will never really be on the A side. You'll never really, you'll never really be known for stringing together some amazing victories. You'll probably be more known for giving elite talent a tough night. Mm. So I don't think, I don't, I probably don't have any concerns about, about him beating Lomachenko, but I probably got a few concerns about how Lomachenko will look and the further doubt that will be cast on Lomachenko after the fight, because He's in a position now where people are already asking questions following the defeat to Lopez. A fight against a guy like Nakatani is brave because he could easily have picked someone who will make him look tremendous. And he's picked somebody who potentially could make him look a little bit rusty and, and as though maybe he is on the downslide. Well, it's no surprise that Lomachenko is the well, the overwhelming betting favourite here. At best, you're going to get him at 1-10, to 10, um, which is minus uh, 1,000 in American odds. So 91% implied chance and uh, at worst one to 20 minus 2095% Nakatani between seven to one and 10 to one so between nine and 13 percent there and a draw at 28 to one is there enough doubt there to say that with all of those potential question marks that Lomachenko own you know or rather Nakatani only has a nine percent chance that Lomachenko you know is 95% chance? Is he a 1-20 to 20 shot? No, it seems it seems a bit too wide for me, Tom. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't I don't think Nakatani wins the fight, but to have him out at 7-1 to one or, you know, those odds that you just quoted there seem 
seem a bit too wide for me. When we know that Lomachenko is getting older, he's coming back from surgery, he's just suffered defeat again. I don't, it seems it seems a little bit wide. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, I, I don't think there's much doubt in my mind as to who's going to win, but anyone looking at, and there will be some people looking at, you know, the one to 10 as kind of free money, I would steer them, certainly try and steer them away from that at the best of times. But in this fight, I think there are too many kind of imponderables. You know, we don't, we don't know about Lomachenko and, and Nakatani, you know, it's coming off an upset win. It's going to give it a go. I, I would have it slightly, slightly closer, not materially so, but you know, maybe one to eight, something like that is. Yeah. But one yeah. to 20, I think is, is too far gone. One to one to 10 is, you know, okay. Um, one to eight, one to nine, maybe. I know we're splitting hairs here a little bit. In the method of victory, this is where it gets a bit more interesting. Lomachenko has five fights at lightweight, lost the last of those, of course. Um, but before that, he had four fights, um, two stoppage wins and two unanimous decisions, albeit not in that order. Obviously, two and two, 50% to 50%. And that's pretty much how the odds have this. The odds mirror that. Um, they go even money for the Lomachenko stoppage. Uh, that's pretty widely available with William Hill, Paddy Power, Betfair. And in places, even money as well for the decision. Lomachenko decision, um, Sky Bet, Bet Victus goes slightly bigger than that. And Bet365 go 21 to 20. So just you, you're kind of looking at 48% at best there for the Lomachenko points win. You wouldn't really be wanting to jump into a, a Lomachenko stoppage unless you're kind of saying that he really wants to go out there and make a statement, would you? No, and I, I can't believe the height of Nakatani for a guy that fights it that way. Mm. He's just under six foot, which which is the same as me. And let me tell you, Tom, I'm not making that weight anytime soon. So <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think the stoppage is probably the tougher ask. And I think Lomachenko will probably feel a little bit better getting the rounds in as well and kind of enjoying himself and loosening off and getting used to fighting again. So, no, I, I probably favour the decision. Nakatani um, for balance, uh, sixteen to one to nineteen to one for the decision. So between five and six percent um, for that, and eleven to one to twenty to one for the KO. So between five and five-ish, uh, and eight percent. Craig, there was one fight when we were talking about the show earlier, and we, we're kind of trying to fit in the fights that we talk about on the show. And there was one flagged up that was on the, the kind of the long list. But you said you might have something to talk about. And it's a Friday night show, the MTK show from um, from Bolton. Jay Harris versus Ricardo uh, Sandoval. What were you, um, what did you spy there? I, I, had a little, I had a little flick through the record of Sandoval and, and the guys that he's fought, the level he's been sort of competing at. And it's not, you know, it's not great. It's not the same level as Jay Harris. You know, it's, it's a fair distance from the level Jay Harris has been competing at. But they've got Jay Harris just outright to win as 8 to 13, which... You know, for me, seemed seemed a little bit out. I'd, I'd make him a a bigger favourite than that, to be honest. You know, I'd, I thought it'd be maybe maybe a two to five or something. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd have him. A, I'd have him a bigger favourite than that. It's a little bit of maybe a little bit of guesswork because I don't know a lot about Sandoval. And to be maybe more accurate with that, what I do know about Sandoval, I don't know more about his opponents. You know, the wins on his record, how good are they? I'm not. Sure, he looks he looks competent, but I think, yeah, you're right. I think Jay Harris just has a he's, he's certainly got a dog in him. We know that, and I think there might be a bit of there might be a bit of value there siding with him. But I never really like kind of 
backing against the kind of black box type guys like Sandoval, where you don't know, you know, I, I confess to be no, I'm certainly no expert of the American flyweight scene. I don't know about you. <laughs> Craig, mate, we'll wrap it up there then. Um, and I'm going to get your, we'll, we'll leave the coin analogies to one side, but I'm instead going to put a, a banknote in your hand and <laughs> tell me to, or, or ask you rather, uh, to give me one bet for the weekend based on the fights that we've spoken about. I would take... Jason Rosario by knockout would be my bet. Okay. Seven, seven to two. Yeah, I would take that. I just think there's there's enough doubt surrounding Lubin. We know what he can do. He did the same to Julian Williams when nobody gave him a hope. People are giving him much more of a hope now, but still the lesser of two. Um, and I just feel as though I feel as though there could be a, a cheeky upset there. But I'm probably wrong and people will tell me I'm wrong and that'll be a uh, that would be good fun. <laughs> what about you, Tom? I think the Lomachenko decision, if you're, if you're looking at the even money for a Lomachenko stoppage and then slight odds against for the Lomachenko points, I think I would side with the decision. And I think I would be tempted in, in, the, in the kind of the headline fight of the weekend, maybe to look at the overs, but with no great conviction in that one. I think, I think Lomachenko decision would be my favourite bet of the weekend here. Yeah, I think the Javonta Davis to win by decision at three to one or just over three to one. I think we mentioned there's there's probably some legs in that as well when we spoke about Barrios in terms of how tough he is, how how sort of fresh and seasoned he is as well. So yeah, there's, that, that would probably be my my second place. Well, that's two three to one plus picks that you've um you've kind of pointed out there. So if both of those land, we'll get you back on um again next week, shall we? <laughs> Craig, mate, thank you very much for, um, for coming on. Real pleasure talking to you. Really appreciate it, Tom. Thank you very much. I'm now putting on my out of office for a couple of weeks and setting off on a holiday for a clear fortnight. Unfortunately, I don't think my fiancé will be too impressed if she sees me packing my microphone into the suitcase. Fairly conveniently, though, the break does coincide with a bit of a quiet spell in boxing with a Chris Colbert Showtime main event, and I really rate uh, Colbert, I should add, and a very one-sided looking Queensbury card, at least judging by the odds, over the next two weekends. All of which is to say that I'm sure you'll cope just fine. I'll be back hopefully refreshed and full of energy for that Jamel Charlo versus Brian Castano preview in mid-July, and then of course Fury Wilder 3 the week after, when I'll also be letting you know about what I think are some exciting changes for the podcast that I've been working on for a little while. Until then, please remember to gamble responsibly, and good luck, of course, if you are getting involved this weekend, or indeed the next couple after that. And as always, thank you very much for listening.